0: This is Testing Code, episode 75. If you do software testing right, it's really done all of the time, throughout the whole life of a software project. This is different than the verification and validation of the classic model of QA teams. It's more of a collaborative model that actually tries to help get great software out the door faster and iterate quicker. One of the people at the forefront of this kind of push of software testing is Alan Page. Alan and his podcast co-host, Brent Jensen, tried to boil down what modern testing looks like in the modern testing principles. I've got Alan here today to talk about the principles and also to talk about this transition from classical QA to testing specialists being embedded in software teams and then on to software teams doing their own testing. But that only barely scratches the surface of what we cover. I think you'll learn a lot from this discussion. Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software development, software testing, and Python. Welcome to Testing Code. I've got uh, one of the uh, kind of the heroes of testing, Alan Page, on the show, also the angry weasel. I'll let him introduce himself. So, Alan, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I consider myself more of an anti-hero, but I'll take it. Uh, <clears throat> perhaps it's just because I've been around so long in testing. But yeah, I'm Alan. Uh, I have a podcast with Brent Jensen called (laughs) "Shut the Gun There," called uh, the A/B Testing Podcast, uh, which is a little bit of a play on words. A/B testing, of course, is a method for uh, deploying ideas or experiments to production. But in this case, the A and B stands for Alan and Brent, and we just finished our hundredth episode.
0: Uh, About a
1: week ago, so that was pretty exciting. And uh, currently working at Unity Technologies. I have a blog at angryweasel.com. Um, some selected writings are listed there. You can track them down. And that's probably anything else you could want to find out about me, you could probably find from that website. Uh, but the real quick story about where Angry Weasel came from, I'm not an angry person. Uh, I was in a, a band once. I am trying to come up with a band name because it's an important decision that a band always needs to make. and Uh, we were talking to some people that had the story, thick German accent, some story that I barely remember now about beware of the tooth of the weasel. (laughs) And from that, we came up with, with, it's like angry weasel. That could be our band name. So I bought angryweasel.com and our guitar player said, no, I don't like that name. So we never got to use it. I kept the domain and eventually thought, you know what? I'm going to use that for my blog. So that's, that's where, that's where angry weasel came from in a, in a short story. And that's why I'm Alan, the angry weasel.
0: Well, what was the band name that you came up with?
1: Oh, that's that's a sad answer. Uh, we were mostly Microsoft employees at the time, and the name he we were for a while we were Severity One. Okay, that's pretty bad. And eventually, we became uh, Groove Mob.
0: Groove Mob. Hmm.
1: I like I like Angry Weasel better.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so you yeah you were at Microsoft before Unity, right?
1: Yes, for twenty-two years. Okay. A short stint.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and while you was it while you were there, I assume that you wrote the um, the how we test at Microsoft.
1: You are correct. Um, maybe right about the halfway point, I wrote this book called "How We Test Software at Microsoft," which is now a nice snapshot in time.
0: Okay, so that
1: of how we tested software at Microsoft at that point in time.
0: Okay, so that that wasn't the case when you left Microsoft then.
1: No, absolutely not. Okay. In fact, when I left Microsoft, there were no, uh, or very few people in dedicated testing positions. Okay. They had, they had removed most of them at that point.
0: Well, that's that's actually kind of a theme that I've seen in a lot of companies, for better or worse. Some people for good reasons, and some people for bad reasons.
1: Yeah, and my 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 theory is done right, uh, not. A, a dedicated testing specialist. I'll play. It, I'll say it backward. A dedicated testing specialist. A dedicated testing specialist uh, used incorrectly is a bottleneck and slows down the team. Yeah. And, but done right, you can be. And the way I've done it in teams that I've been in is teams can be more efficient without creating that bottleneck of the
0: dedicated testing specialist. Yeah, definitely agree. But it de-
1: but it depends a whole bunch on context.
0: So yeah, let's so let's. Uh, one of the main reasons why I wanted to ask, uh, ask you on the show is because you um, – I think it was both you and Brent didn't came up with this modern testing uh, principles. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Is it okay if we just read through these – there's like seven principles?
1: Yeah, and maybe first I should – let's do that. But let me give you a little background why it's called modern testing first because yeah. you'll, notice, you'll notice before we go through it, the principles aren't that much about testing. And they're not really that modern. Uh, the way the term <laughs> the way the term came about was we were talking about traditional testing, I air quotes traditional, uh, where the the waterfall test last, uh, do all your testing at the end, and try and test quality and pretty much the way I did testing for you know the first most of the first ten years of my career. Uh, and modern testing is more of the antidote to that. It's the Well, how do we test now? And Brent and I are both working pretty heavily on services, but I applied a lot of these working on Xbox as well. Uh, But the idea is that we want to be testing all the time. It doesn't matter whether we're we're, uh, delivering all the time. We want to test all the time. We want to work on optimizing the team uh, from our rules. In my role as a test specialist, I use that role to help the team learn how to test better, how to get better at making quality software, and sort of leading them towards a more accelerated view. And then in talking about it in that way for a while, we used the term modern testing for a while that way, until maybe a year and a half ago, uh, maybe a little longer, uh, we decided to try and come up with principles to describe these things we've been talking about for a while in modern testing. And that's where the modern testing principles came from.
0: So yeah. now you can read them. Okay, so... Um we don't need to discuss all of them. I've got questions about it, but just so people, and I'll, I'll actually list these in the show notes as well and, and give a link to uh, your site that lists them. Uh, yeah, but, and you
1: can you can just go to moderntesting.org and that will redirect to the principles.
0: Okay. So uh, let's see, there's seven, looks like seven principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, uh, our priority is improving the business. Two, we accelerate the team. Uh, the use model, wait, you probably read these better than I will, um, but we accelerate the team, the use models like lean thinking and theory of constraints to help identify, prioritize and mitigate bottlenecks from the system. Um, three, we are a force for continuous improvement, helping the team adapt and optimize in order to succeed rather than providing a safety net to catch failures. Four, we are deeply, we care deeply about the quality culture of our team And we coach, lead, and nurture the team towards a more mature quality culture. Five, we believe that the customer is the only one capable to judge and evaluate the quality of our product. Six, we use data extensively to deeply understand customer usage and then close the the gaps between product hypothesis and business impact. And lastly, seven, we expand testing abilities and know how across the team, understanding that this may reduce or eliminate the need for dedicated testing specialist. That's actually quite a bit of information there. <laughs> um, and,
1: but they overlap and support each other in a lot of ways too. Once you get into them.
0: right um, now, these. So you've you you came up with these or uh, solidified them about a year ago. You say
1: about maybe about a year and a half. I first presented these. Uh, at a conference uh, about a year and a half ago. Yeah.
0: Okay. And uh, in your brief description of uh, like saying Microsoft uh, has less testers, uh, dedicated testers. A lot. This this push to um, uh, have testing be a a basically learning about the learning about the customer, learning about the product, uh, learning about the software, and then also um, uh, trying to speed things up and make things smoother, not not the other way around. Um, that is a different role than traditional test stuff. Um, uh, and you're not, you were not, so you work at a company, right? You're not a consultant with, for other right. companies.
1: I, I work at a company that makes software.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, I don't know how, how much, I guess in your speak you do go, go around and speak though. Does this resonate with people? Um,
1: uh, surprisingly so. So the first time I talked about modern testing, uh, about a year and a half ago at Brighton at Test Bash, I was it was I was a little worried. Group of testers, what are they gonna say? And not only did I not scare everyone, but I had people come up to me afterwards and say, Thank you for giving a name to what I've already been doing. And uh, and and like, yeah, this is where we're going. Now this gives me a, a framework I can I can work towards. So I was a little surprised how much of it was already being done in many ways, more than the pushback of uh, oh, this won't work." And there is controversy around at least two of these have, have started, at least a few Twitter wars. Uh, but overall, the feedback has been pretty positive.
0: Okay. Well, let's. Uh, well, the the positive ones. That's boring. Uh, which wh- <laughs> which are the ones that are uh, are controversial?
1: So. Let's, two of them, Uh, but let's talk about the most obviously controversial one first, which is number seven, uh, which says, we're going to make the team better at testing. In fact, we may make them so good at testing that they may not need a tester anymore. And based on the conversation we had earlier, that freaks people out. Like, what do you mean? You're just going to get rid of testing because you're going to blindly follow these principles. And that's not at all what we mean. But we do mean it the way I said it, is you actually, the team may get so good at testing because we, we believe, in, and Lisa Crispin has really uh, been supportive. Lisa Crispin, who with Janet Gregory wrote the Agile testing books, uh, very supportive of modern testing and gets exactly how it builds on Agile testing and loves that idea of test as a coach or test as a consultant and helping the team get better at testing because that helps, that helps accelerate the team, number two. Uh, so we spend a lot of time in modern testing. We want testers to help the team get better at testing. That's doing pair testing. And uh, I had a test team at unity for a while and I've overtook me two years, but I dissolved that team because we reached number seven and they were no longer needed. They didn't, I didn't lay anybody off. They merged into other roles on the team. Most of them still in largely test specialist roles, but very well embedded in the team and leading the team towards a quality culture. So it's controversial on the surface because it looks like we want to get rid of testers, but what we found in practice is the way this principle works is you don't have the goal of eliminating the dedicated testing specialist. What happens is you get, eventually you get to a point where you go, oh, we actually don't need a dedicated testing specialist. Uh, so as long as you look at it that way that one's pretty safe but if you look at it it scares people right we have job preservation they look at those last seven words and they freak out but it's a in reality it's a logical and uh, it, it's a the, the step there if you if you choose to make that step will seem normal and there will be plenty of orgs that that don't eliminate the, a dedicated testing specialist and that's fine too. We're just saying that it is a strong possibility in a lot of cases.
0: So people don't lose their jobs, then?
1: Uh, no, not that I've seen.
0: I see this as more eliminating the wall between QA and development.
1: Yes, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And uh, but the but there's also some camaraderie. So if you've got if you've taken a, if you've got a group of QA people or testers, and now you've got them all in the teams instead, do they not they do they feel like solo people just in the, in the uh, fighting on their own? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think what I've done, there's multiple ways to solve that. Here, I keep the community going. So those testers still hang out. I still send them a newsletter, uh, and we have channels in Slack where we hang out. So there is that camaraderie. Just everybody is a specialist in their team. I look at testing specialists, sp- testing specialty, the same way I look at Performance specialty. You may be really good at doing performance work or doing front-end work. Uh, that's great, uh, but we have people who are really good at quality work and testing yeah. work. Yeah, and they're not going to do all of it. They're probably going to take on the harder step. They're going to pair. They're going to help people elsewhere on the team get better at those things. No, th- but I think you know community is really important. So finding a way to keep those connections going is good. Um, but you may be the only tester on a very small company and then your community comes elsewhere.
0: Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Patreon supporters. I remember early in this podcast, I reached out to supporters to ask them what I could do for them to show my appreciation, something extra I could do just for them. Most of the responses I got back were essentially, we don't need anything extra. We're doing this to keep more shows coming. Take whatever effort you were going to put into bonuses and make more episodes. Thank you to everyone. If you want to join these amazing people, go to test and and look for the donate menu item. Again, thank you everyone. You rock. Okay. Well that, what's the other controversial bit?
1: Now I was surprised, uh, but we didn't bend. Uh, I didn't think any other one would be controversial, but Number five came out as controversial, um, and I think about it. It goes back to the tester identity a little bit. And to be clear, number five, since probably most of the listeners did not memorize them when you said them, <laughs> is we believe that the customer is the only one capable to judge and evaluate the quality of our product. And for a long time, you know, I've been in test for 25 plus years. Uh, for a long time, as testers, we thought we are the customer. We're the customer advocate. We're the voice of the customer. And we wanted to position ourselves as this last line of defense for the customer. And, and we were their, you know, their, their savior, perhaps a little bit overspoken. But a lot of what we talk about in modern testing is, is borrowed and stolen liberally from uh, books like uh, Reinerson's Flow. And for this one, pretty much lifted right out of The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Yeah. And there's a quote in there that says, uh, you don't get any validation from your engineering effort until your product's in the hand of customers. And we really believe that. We believe that we can do a lot to mitigate risk, for sure, for sure. We can do a lot to take care of other quality issues and to think about user workflows. But we really, really don't know. Everything up to that point is a guess. We don't know until the customers actually use the product and we get feedback and validation from them. And largely we get that from data, which is uh, uh, principle number six, as we use data a lot. But we have to to get feedback from the customer to know if we're building the right thing for that validation step. But we actually got a lot of pushback from uh, people who didn't believe that. Um, a lot of the pushback was things – some of it was actually quite rude, but uh, some of the worries were this uh, notion that we're using customers to do all of our testing for us, which is not what testing in production means, <laughs> uh, we still do, which, which people have made that jump. and think, well, this means you want customers to do all your testing. And no, it doesn't mean that. It means we want them to validate that we're building the right product and we're going to collect data, and we're going to do things in production to help figure that out, because that's where customers, customers don't play in our staging environments. Customers are in production, so we need to do a lot of testing and validation in production to do that. So I think people get caught up in the fact that, uh, one, that they want to be the customer, even though they're not, but two, they feel like this one says, we're going to do all of our testing in production, and customers will do all of our testing for us, that's why we don't need testers. And they get a little lost in that. So that one's come up, those two have been pretty much the only ones people have complained about, and they've complained and pushed back pretty loudly on those two.
0: Well, th- that one reminded me of the extreme programming thought of having a customer embedded in the team, um, which also seems ludicrous in most circumstances.
1: Right. And that's great. If um, I forget which of the, uh, I-, I remember reading about that in remember which book, but yeah, they're, if you're building a software at Chrysler or wherever it was and, you're, and your customer is the accountant and they work upstairs, yeah, bring them down. But that doesn't quite work for a lot of other software projects. So, again, Lean Startup is all about this. Use use data that we can get from those customers to help answer those questions. The data becomes our customer.
0: But this, this gathering the data also then changes. This has got to feed back into... Uh, project requirements to collect the data in the first place.
1: Yeah, and the difference is what I tell my teams is instead of, well, in addition to thinking about, we're looking at new features we're working on, in addition to thinking about what testing do we need to do, we ask questions like, how will we know this is working in production? Yeah, How will we know if this is not working? What what behaviors or, or monetary or you know changes do we expect to see? And then making sure we have... Uh, collection in place to help answer those questions.
0: Yeah. And there's definitely still some software and, you know, connected internet connected software has a little bit easier time for that. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, with, there's still a lot of software realms where the, that's actually really hard still. Uh, it
1: is, but we did a reasonable chunk of this even on Xbox where uh, it's a, you know, it's, not one OS, it's three operating systems that live on this box. And of course, we weren't downloading, you know, 50 changes a day, but our beta users would take updates every day or every other day, and we would do experiment groups, and we would figure out, use that to try and validate some of the things we were doing.
0: Yeah, okay,
1: nice. So you can do it. And again, people get installation fatigue, even on your phone. You have the ability to update as often as you want, as often as you can get Apple to or to approve your your submission. But people don't want to download a new version of Angry Birds every day. But you do get a new one every week, and you're kind of okay with that, even though some of those, some of that's bug fixes, some of that's features, some of that's experimentation.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, there's still even like uh, use cases, cases like embedded systems and yeah, and those, other, those, other devices yeah. where you, you, there's no data coming back.
1: And, and in that case you have to resort to uh, either some sometimes there's some data you can collect and then you know it can be uploaded via you know USB key manually but generally it's uh, customer interviews or you have, you have to be your only proxy then yeah. yeah but you're also you're also shipping in those cases generally a much uh, smaller audience
0: yes definitely and and it's easier to find a representative person to ask um, yeah. hopefully. I'm glad that it's going well or it's being – most people are understanding that that's really how testing is happening now anyway because a lot of the tutorials and how to do testing is still on that old uh, – the goal of a tester is to try to break things. Um <laughs> And uh well I hear from your chuckle that you don't believe that that's really the primary goal then. no,
1: I I I never thought it was.
0: I think it's ridiculous to to <laughs> think that. I'm um, I'm sure you've seen it as well, people saying that that's the primary goal.
1: Yeah, but I see fewer and fewer of those and they're working on projects that have less and less impact to people.
0: <laughs> okay. Um
1: I th- I think my goal is whatever role I'm in, my goal is to ship high quality software that customers love. Yeah. And I'm going to do whatever it's required to and work, help the team deliver that.
0: Well, I, one of the things I, I like, um, I, I definitely like the principles, uh, the, the aspect that you're coming at it from the tester side, uh, representing, um, a testing group or testing people. Whereas, um, I'm my, my experience mostly has been on the developer side, saying, hey, all of us developers, we should test more. Um, how do we do that? Uh, and trying to find information for, for to try to teach people that don't have. So there's a lot of groups out there that don't actually have testing people around to help teach them. One of the questions I have for you is this push towards more testing by developers. Does that mean pushing from high-level tests to unit tests? No.
1: And I think there's a fallacy in there that you and I both know, and in fact, probably most people listening to this podcast know that I can write a whole bunch of unit tests that give me 100% code coverage and I can still ship with bugs. Because things working, I think developers are very capable of making sure their chunks work in isolation uh, by themselves. They don't need really any coaching for that. TDD will help with that, or just a book on unit testing and some thinking through on how to, you know, reaching levels of coverage is a pretty easy problem to solve. Where it gets hard is when these pieces start to fit together, is making sure my component works with your component in this system of components. And where I think most developers need some coaching and where the where the gap is, is And where I see people practicing modern testing principles or testers practicing those principles help is teaching the team to recognize risk and how to think about how those pieces fit together and what sort of tests they need to write. I don't think, you know, a lot of developers I've worked with will write all the tests they can think of and there's still bugs because they haven't been taught how to think about what else can go wrong. How to... How to bring a risk-based approach to their software development and release. Yeah. And that's where we try and help them. And that's where a lot of teams really screw up in getting rid of their testers is they think, okay, I have developers. They know how to write unit tests. I don't need testers anymore. And that's, it is a huge logical gap in there. There's a lot more, there's a lot more, there's a whole lot of surface area between good unit testing and a great quality software for my customers.
0: Yeah, definitely. And
1: and and, there, and there's a world to live there. And it may get to a point where, again, going back to principle seven, it takes a while. It isn't automatic. Getting rid of the test. Remember Yahoo, they uh, – in fact, the reference to a safety net came from this article I read about, Yahoo, You know, maybe eight, nine years ago when they said, Yahoo fires all testers and removes safety net for developers. And, well, part of the problem was you saw them as a safety net. And, <laughs> but it, that doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't doesn't make you automatically figure out all those quality pieces. There's a gradual change that needs some coaching. One of the things I've done for the, my last several teams is help coach them away from the from you know unit testing enough to thinking about quality a lot. And I work with a lot of developers now who are great. I mean they're they're really good testers. They think about the system and how it works together. And someone goes to change something. They go, wait a minute, you can't do that because it'll it'll break this thing over here. And sure enough, they're right. Some of those things that we've done as testers for a long time. Uh, so anyway, it's all coachable is my short answer. Uh, and people can do it, but you can't jump from developers running unit tests to not needing testers.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, but the developers running unit tests or knowing how to write unit tests to a developer that can think about a higher level test, uh, maybe even a system test or a uh, subcutaneous or where to mock thing. Yeah. And all that stuff is, uh, is, is not obvious. Like, like you said. And one of the things I like to, I like to teach people just those questions that you talked about, what can go wrong? How do I know that it works? And how do I know it's not working? Um, yeah, And we do this, like when we're just testing things with, I can write a little sample program to test my library that I'm working on, but I but that for some reason a lot of people don't believe that that's that's testing. And when I when they, at least the developers, if the developers trying to move if I say, hey, can you come up with some test cases for this? They'll come up with all these weird corner case stuff that's never going to happen <laughs> yeah. in production. And I'm like, testing like isn't like that anymore. Um, yes.
1: It's exactly it. I read that's yeah, common theme.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So how do um the, the and, and it's not even their fault when I tell somebody that they need to learn learn more about testing and you google testing, you get all of this rubbish. Um Yes, yeah, so, but
1: it isn't that the, in my view cuz I this is something I work on a lot. It's not that they need to know more about testing. They need to know more about thinking about risk. Okay. Like like in this example is like you're working on your library you think, okay, which which of our user flows would use this library? All right, how do I make sure I don't, I haven't affected those? How do I get a reasonable level of confidence? I haven't messed anything up in those user workflows. And the answer to that may be, well, I'm going to run some end-to-end tests. Okay, I did those manually. These are, I could really automate this and they can automate it then. Uh, but you have to think about, which gets into my automation approach, but you uh, you have to think about risk and that that leads to testing versus thinking I have to do a bunch of testing.
0: Right. OK, I like that. I also like that, that, that you brought up the, the notion of a workflow because you can do uh, thinking about a workflow from a user's perspective and how that is how that breaks down into my library and even use it like a unit test, just um, making sure that those workflows work. Uh, even not at a system level, but even at a sub at a component level or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now um, pair testing. What is that? Is that just a uh, sitting with a developer and helping to write the tests? Yeah. So I,
1: when I was running the test test team for services here at unity, um, I refused to let them be like, Hey, please test this for me. Let me know if it's okay to check in. Uh, if someone ever did that, they would ask like, oh, great. What have you already tested? Nothing. Okay, let's test it together. Okay. And then the next time, maybe that they that go on for a while, they go, "What'd you already test? I tested A and B. Great, let's do C and D together." And then for most, and now it's just for as needed on uh, complex things. Hey, I need some. I need some help on this. I'm I'm, you know, I'm worried. Yeah. But most of the time, developers go, "Hey, I tested A, B, C, and D. That's cool. Check it in."
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Because so, we know the testing's been done, and we yeah. there's a there's some trust there. We know they know how to do good testing. So it's, I gave you the really long answer of it's as needed, but we we built up a very high level of what, what that is over time.
0: I like it. As a developer, I'm always thinking about uh, minimizing my manual tests and uh, trying to push everything to automated tests if I can. Is that different from your standpoint? Um, is there still a place for manual tests? Um,
1: yes. Sometimes you need eyeballs and sometimes – just because you can automate it doesn't mean you should. Okay. And where it uh, really comes to light is um, in uh, end-to-end or often UI automation, which can be, uh, in most cases of my experience, not worth the effort. Uh, I think you want to be really careful at the UI level uh, because, well, on the UI level uh, you want to avoid tests that can be flaky I want to be able to trust my tests so my approach is you know, my my canonical line has been you should automate 100% of the tests that should be automated <laughs> which is an obvious tautology but what it means is uh, and it takes a while this is the challenge of test design is figure out where are the places where a computer is going to help me do better testing uh, rather than where are the places that I can automate that will be an interesting intellectual challenge, Uh, And which is the test pyramid, which also is surprisingly controversial. Write a whole bunch of unit tests that run fast and you 100% trust. Write a reasonable level of integration tests that can help you make sure stuff is working together. And then a lot of people just look at the pyramid, never read the text around them. Um, And some people argue it's a triangle, not a pyramid, but whatever. Uh, the top has UI tests or end-to-end tests, depending on which, which one you look at. Yeah. And Mike Cohn's text around that said, write as few of these as needed. And what that means is you only want to write those end-to-end or those, those high-level tests, because they're, they're, they're longer, they're harder to write reliably, they can be flaky, is write tests at that level only for the bugs that can only be found at that level.
0: Okay,
1: so if that but if if you're if you're you want to if you can find issues at the integration level, write the tests there instead, because they're going to be faster to run, more reliable. Yeah, um, and and that goes back to do you need always uh, need manual testing? Uh, if you don't have any UI, um, maybe not. <laughs> right. But yeah. I can even take I can even give an example from Unity. So I work uh, right now. I'm working on our our ads platform, and which is almost entirely services. There are some little pieces that will show up in your game on a uh, on a on a phone. But we still do, and the developers do this. Still, it's technically manual. They will run the whole scenario from from. Uh, add requests to the shown on device to, you know, tracking all the way through in a staging environment and lots of automated tests there, but they will almost always put some eyeballs on that process. Looking at, not at the UI, but looking at monitoring how the system behaves, understanding what's going on. Uh, you could call that manually, but they're not just looking at a the result. They're looking at the whole system because uh, summarizing the way the whole system looks down to a result is difficult. So, I actually don't know whether you call that a manual test or not but but I will for the case of, of this story
0: yeah well I mean I've got cases where def- definitely I we have never we have not completely eliminated manual tests because we have user interfaces um, and and there's lots of things where just having people run it look at the screen and make sure nothing looks funky um, now we our manual test procedures are, are more specific than that. But essentially, that's what it is, is because if there's a specific thing that I want somebody to look for, I can man, I can automate that. But if it's just, um, you know, making sure that the that it just doesn't look funky, and we, I mean, with, that's most of the places where we see like a graph will be like discontinuous when it shouldn't be discontinuous, or um, you know, or a button is like half off the screen or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, you it. I wouldn't write an automated test for that. We just need to look at it once in a while. Right. Um, right. It reminds
1: me, a quick story I'm, I've told probably a few other times, but I worked on Windows 98, I tested our, our graphics APIs. And I remember having, way, in hindsight, way too long of a conversation on whether I could use git pixel, a function that uh, gets the color of a pixel on the screen, with set pixel, the function that sets a pixel on the screen. So if I call set pixel red, if I call get pixel in that same location, I should get red back. But was that a fair test? Or did to look into the the graphics memory buffer and blah, blah, blah? And the answer is, if either of those were ever broken, you would know automatically.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One of the things, there's a separation between the developer community and the testing community. And if modern testing succeeds, there shouldn't be, right? Right. D- does that separation of communities bother you at all?
1: Um, no. And the reason it doesn't is because uh, there's a lot of the industry. If you look at, like, the um, the distribution of innovation curve, which uh, Clayton Christian made popular, which shows you, know, you're, you have this, uh, basically a bell curve. But on the end, you have these these innovations and oh, I forget the names of the labels. doesn't matter. Then you have laggards in the back and early adopters. Uh, Modern testing is still just reaching the early adopter stage. So it's not – as much as, you know, we get a little bit of – the people that go to conferences that come up to me and say, oh, this is great. We're already doing this. The people that go to conferences are already ahead of the curve. uh, People that pay attention to the internet, people that listen to podcasts are already ahead of the curve of a lot of people in development testing because they want to be on the edge. Uh, there's a whole bunch of industry that's not there, and those people need a community to figure, to learn from and commiserate, discover things they don't know they don't know. Yeah. So the world isn't ready yet for. I want them to get there, but the world overall isn't ready to see testing and development as to as a single thing versus two separate things. Okay. So I'm not bothered because I think it'll just take time, and if if it gets to a point where the majority of the world is following something closer to modern testing, great. I'm super happy, and I think it's going to be good for the users of software. But uh, it's going to take a while to get there.
0: Okay. Uh-huh. I really enjoy your podcast, too. What uh, um, so the, what, what made you decide to do a podcast? Oh, that's a good question.
1: So Brent and I both used to work at Microsoft together. That's probably figured out. Uh, I meant also mentioned earlier I'm a big fan of community for getting people connecting together. And there was a group of, this, of us in this role of test architect at Microsoft, which really just meant we were senior level testers and they thought it would be good if we, early on when there were only a few of us, they thought it would be good if we would get together once in a while and chat. And I was chairing this group and making sure that all the test architects at Microsoft had a venue to get together. And Brent uh, was a frequent attendee of these meetings, and we played off each other pretty well. Uh, we like each other, but we give each other a really bad time, and and, and through that, we could vet a lot of really cool ideas. And then, on uh, one of our our brighter moments of, of slightly insulting comedy, uh, someone in the room said, oh my God, you guys have to record this and put it on a podcast. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. And we heard it a few more times and eventually we started a podcast. And as I just mentioned, it got to a hundred episodes. I would say I wouldn't start at the beginning, but you know, the, the last 50 or so have been pretty good. It
0: gets better as people get more experienced, right? Yeah. Um, hey, I want to thank you for your time. Um, if people want to know more about you, uh, it's angryweasel.com. Is that right? That's correct. All right. And, um, Yeah, just thanks thanks for your time. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks again to Alan for talking with me and for all the great work he does. Thank you, Patreon supporters, for your continued support. And that's all for now. Now go out and test something. Or maybe take a few minutes and pair test with someone on your team and let me know how it goes.